Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. The Pete Callender Show, you can email Pete at the Pete Callender Show. You can call 704-570-1110 at 1-800-WBT-1110. Hit me up on the Twitter machine at, at Pete Callender. Charlotte Observer reporting. In a year of mostly remote learning due to the pandemic, a majority of Charlotte Mecklenburg school students failed state exams for the 2020-2021 academic year. That according to the results released by the state yesterday. Yet CMS students only slightly trailed others statewide on the reading, math, and science scores. So yay to that. We're only slightly behind the rest of the state. We're only slightly. Okay. The uh, new state test results show that only 45.4% of students statewide passed reading, math, and science exams. 45%. 45.4. The proficiency rate for the exams given to elementary and middle schools was 456 And for the tests given to high school students, it was 44.7. So it's all clustered right around there. In many ways, this is a story of clusters. Um, In CMS, 44.6% of students in all subjects passed the exam. So we're all around 44, 45%. The superintendent for CMS, Ernest Winston, said at the news conference that the pandemic and resulting academic decline represent, quote, the most significant disruption of public education in our lifetimes. Now, this is obviously untrue because uh, I was assured by teachers union representatives that uh, learning loss is a myth. There's no such thing as learning loss. So obviously these tests are probably racist. That's the reason. That is, by the way, this really highlights the absurdity of the anti-racism ideology, which uses disparate outcome and data that you can, you know, you look at a a data set like this and you say, okay, what are the, um, what are the performance results? And you break it out over racial groups and you find a disparity between white Uh, students and black students, white students, Hispanic students, white students, Asian students. And if you find a disparity, then that is de facto proof of systemic racism, right? Like this is, but this is not the case. It's not systemic racism that's proving this. It's the government's decision to send everybody home and close all the schools. That's why everybody's scores went down, right? Statewide, previous years, 58 Almost 59% of the kids were passing. So we were about, I mean, almost like a bell curve. They were 58.8%, 59%. Declines in CMS were precipitous across nearly every subject and among every racial and ethnic group. In reading tests for grades 3 through 8, pass rates went from 44% down to 28 and a half. 28 and a half. We're less than a third. That's less than a third. Less than a third of kids are able to read at grade level in grades three through eight. That is the school-to-prison pipeline. This is what researchers have determined. You hear it all the time from the education activists and advocates and educrats and such and democratic politicians and media. You hear this all the time, that if you can't 
read at grade level by third grade, the chances are you're going to be in prison. Like you can literally draw the line there. And that's why they call it this pipeline. How many kids are now going to end up in the prison system because adults shut down the schools? Do you think that's a negative effect of the COVID lockdowns? What do you think? Do you think somebody might be, I don't know, held accountable for that decision? Should somebody be held accountable for that decision? Are we going to, should we start beating up on, I don't know, whoever made that decision? Would that be Roy Cooper? You know, that's sentencing all of these kids to prison sentences and, uh, you know, lifetime of criminality because he locked down the schools and now they're not at a grade level. I mean, that's an astounding number. It's even worse when you break it down by demographic, by uh, racial demographics. The rate of decline was similar in several subject uh, areas across racial and ethnic groups. Some of those groups were already seeing low pass rates. So you got math one. This is for grades nine through 12 math. The pass rate among black students. Five percent. Five percent. This is grotesque. This is like at some point. I know it's an old movie, but it's been 11 years. But the movie Waiting for Superman, if you've never seen it, it's definitely worth an hour. It's a documentary. It's done by uh, the guy who did, of all documentaries, uh, was it uh, uh, Inconvenient Truth, right? Uh, Al Gore's documentary, right? So so not exactly a a right-wing documentarian here, okay? The guy is married to Elizabeth Shue. That's his, uh, I forget the guy's name. But he's a documentary filmmaker, and he started, he would drive his kids, drop his kids off to school every day, and he would pass these failing schools and dropping his kid off at this private school, and, he, and it, it finally dawned on him, like, what, like what's going on here? Why, is, why are, are these schools failing? And what of the kids that are in those schools? And so he did a documentary about it. And it's 2010, I think is when the... the I think that's right. Roughly 2010, maybe earlier. Um, those schools are are failing their neighborhoods, but also the neighborhoods are failing their kids. The adults are failing their kids. Our culture is failing our kids. Right. All of this stuff, like you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not of the belief that it, like teachers are going to solve all of these problems. My like my personal view of the K-12 model, blow it up. Blow up the model. The model is archaic. It doesn't work anymore for too many people. You need to democratize the model. Give people, put the money in the backpacks and send the kids where the kids and the uh, parents want to go. You can maintain government-run schools as the, quote, safety net. And if the government-run schools are good, then they will be able to compete and the kids will go there. Parents will go there. But otherwise, no. I'm I'm not interested in continuing the system that is ruining people's lives because that's what it's doing. It's ruining these kids' lives, and uh, and I don't put all that and I don't put the blame on the teachers. They just exist inside the system. They they're trying to do the best with the, uh, with the system as it's built, and once more teachers realize the futility of that endeavor, then I think you start to see. Uh, start to see what is called the preference cascade. I think I'm hoping that COVID is now opening the floodgates here. 
the amount of parents that are pulling their kids out of the schools, the, the, the wokeism, this garbage CRT that's infecting all the classrooms, like the damage that these schools are doing to people is, I think, now becoming more and more obvious. So I'm hopeful that we'll start seeing the preference cascade, which occurs when, you know, one or two people, they're the early adopters, nobody really follows. But then you eventually hit a critical mass, one or two, three or four followers, and eventually there becomes this large enough mass of people that it become that becomes the preference. And then boom, 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 everybody falls after that. I'm hoping that's what happens. This should be a huge wake-up call. 5%? 5% of black students are at grade level in math one? What kind of a life are you setting them up for there? Asian students, it's down to 17%. It's just awful. Um, of course, the, the GovCo uh, superintendent says, don't worry, it's going to take a multi-year effort to get this corrected. So, you know, if your kid's in school right now, just give it a couple years. And, uh, I mean, it may not work for them, but maybe some kids later, it might be better for them. Fingers crossed. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. September is Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month. Make some plans. End of the month, September 30th. It's a Thursday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. So maybe swing on by on your lunch break or something at the Community Matters Cafe. We got the One Blood Big Red Bus. And we'll be accepting donation. Well, they'll be accepting your You don't want me taking your blood. That's not how that works. But uh, the uh, One Blood Big Red Bus will be accepting your donations of blood and platelets. And it all goes to help kids fighting childhood cancers. While you're there, stop into Community Matters Cafe, get a bite to eat, something to drink, and you'll be supporting the life-changing work that gets done at the Charlotte Rescue Mission. So it's the second annual WBT Little Heroes Blood Drive, Thursday, September 30th, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Community Matters Cafe. Go to wbt.com forward slash events, and you can get uh, more details and directions. This is Tim. Welcome to the program. Tim, how are you? Hi, Pete. Hope you're doing well. I am. Yeah, I was listening to you uh, talking about the failure of the school systems or the or the low uh, 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 the low level of uh, what's the word I'm looking scores. For. Yeah, the Athletes. scores. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, my thought is after after watching what happened, what has happened over the past year and a half with this COVID, and uh, just just all that business. Uh, my thought is instead of uh, defunding the police. I think we need to defund the public school system. <laughs> well, I would. I, I'm not. I'm not arguing for a defund at the state level. Here we're talking because the state is in charge of funding um, the you know the per pupil uh, operational uh, cost, and so the uh, I'm not in favor necessarily of of defunding it. It's in the constitution, the state constitution. Now we can change the state constitution to try and do that, but uh, I, like I recognize the value of a, of, of educating. The future generations, I think the state has a, a compelling interest in doing so. The, the question is, how do you do it? I would recommend that we do what the Democrats want to do when it comes to health care, for example, with the Medicare for all. Like, give everybody a voucher and let everybody decide what doctor they want to go to, or in this case, what school they want to go to. Um, and I think that solves, uh, or that, that, I think that helps to solve some of these problems. Well, I agree with you on that point. I think, uh, I think the money should follow the child. Yeah. Wherever the child goes, whether that would be a private school, um, a church-sponsored school, home school, mm-hmm. 
whatever. And I'm not I'm not against education. I, I have a bachelor's degree in engineering, so I know a little something about school. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you sound educated by that resume, <laughs> as one who has been educated as well. Yeah, like I'm not anti-education either. Like I, I'm anti-bad schools. Absolutely. And you know, you mentioned that the uh, <clears throat> you know the 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 schooling is in the uh, North Carolina Constitution. Mm-hmm. That's true, but. Uh, for a lot of your audience, I don't know if you know that the idea of public schools wasn't originally a communist idea. Pr- well, the Prussian model, I mean, it came out of Prussia. I mean, it wasn't necessarily communist. It was, but the, the, the German state did it. Yeah, I mean, it was create a factory model because everything was being, you know, created with a factory model at that time. And they said, we'll just throw everybody, you know, from the from the farmland into these schools, teach them a little bit so they don't, you know, mangle up our machines with their dead bodies and we can put them in the factories. And and they created that model to create not men of letters, as they said at the time. That wasn't their that wasn't their purpose, right? They were to create good citizens. That was the purpose. Um, and yeah, and there's a reason I think why like the research shows how kids are testing uh, as essentially an almost genius level before they even get into the K twelve schools, and then they get in there, and within a couple of years they're no longer geniuses. So like, did they all just get stupid, or what? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's a part of a part of the uh, program, you know, is to dump is to dumb uh, dumb them down. Well, you have to, and you're an engineer, you know this, right? Like you've got to, if you've got a large pool of kids that you have to put into a class, you obviously have to bring that down to the lowest common denominator, basically, to to educate kids at, at the most basic level, and you got kids. That and like I'm a I'm a really good I know this personally because I'm a good example of it was that I was um, held back a year because of my birth date like I got red shirted right as a kindergartner and so I was always like almost a full year ahead of everyone else in my class and I was bored a lot of my school years I was bored I should have been in a more challenging environment I wasn't and so by the you know by the time I got to high school like I did very well academically but I I was this might come as a surprise I was kind of a troublemaker. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think we're kindred spirits. Because I, uh, frankly, uh, frankly, until I graduated high school, I, I didn't I didn't like school. Yeah, it's just I did not like it. I I, I had other things I'd rather do. You know? Yeah. But, well, and now here I am, basically every day reading and learning and uh, researching every single day of my life after I got out of school that I hated so much. Yeah. Uh, Tim, I appreciate the call, sir. Good to talk with you. Good talking. All right. Take care. Uh, after the news here, uh, we're going to talk with Jim Blaine and uh, he worked for years for uh, state Senate president pro tem Phil Berger, but now he's a, a consultant and we're talking to him about redistricting. Um, this is really, really important and shocker of shockers. Folks on the left are trying to uh, dare I say it corrupt. The process. There it is again. I did not do that. I did not press that button. That <laughs> was not me. <laughs> uh, we got 13 public hearings that have been scheduled over the next several weeks. Democrats who were and uh, left-wing groups that were like demanding that Republicans publish some schedule for these public hearings. As soon as the Republicans publish the schedule, they're like, we only have 10 days to prepare for this. It lasts like actually much longer, but they're all around the state. Here in Charlotte, it's going to be at CPCC 3 o'clock on Wednesday, September 22nd. So mark your calendars. But as we go through this process, you need to know just some bare bones facts about how the maps are going to get drawn. So we'll know how organizations are trying to mess with the maps.
News Talk 1110-993-WBC. Pete Callender here, and uh, I want to welcome to the program Jim Blaine. He is the founder and partner of Differentiators, differentiator.com. Uh, it's a consulting firm specializing in policy, political, and public affairs. He served as North Carolina Senate President Pro Tem Phil Berger's first chief of staff from 2011 through 2018, and before that, uh, he was the director of the Republican State Senate Caucus political organization where he led the historic 2010 campaign effort that put the GOP in control of the state Senate for the first time in 140 years. So kind of a really historical figure joining us now. Jim Blaine, how are you? Welcome to the show. It was all a glorified internship. Pete. <laughs> I appreciate you trying to fool your listeners. So uh, well, <laughs> it was a historical internship. <laughs> So, uh, by the way, uh, congratulations! I'm so glad you're uh, you're all back on the radio in Charlotte. Uh, well, thanks. We were really mi- uh, North Carolina was missing out uh, with that little hiatus you had. Well, uh, I appreciate it. Well, I was doing a podcast. I mean, it was very Western North Carolina focused, but you know, uh, and I appreciate. I think uh, Senator Berger came on the podcast at one point over the last year. Although I think you were gone, so I think that had to happen. Uh, I think you had to leave for him to uh, get on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, I would have never let him on your podcast. <laughs> fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Um, so uh, so first, I, I need to ask this question, because I, I even asked him. Is it, how do you pronounce it? Is it pro tempore or pro tempore? It's pro tempore. Okay. Uh, and and m- most people just refer to him as the Senate leader. Yeah. The Senate president, which is inaccurate. Mark Robinson, lieutenant governor, is actually the Senate president, or just the Senate pro tem. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think it directly correlates to how much Latin you've had as to what you call him. <laughs> pro tem. Um, I've so. always been curious, and when I asked him, he said, I just say pro tem. So. That's what I said. All right. Um, yeah. so, you know how much Latin he has. Yeah, exactly. So let's uh, let's talk clusters, not uh, the test scores or no, Afghanistan. No, 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 no. Clusters are what liberals call them, Pete. <laughs> we call them grouping. Group. Oh, I didn't know that. Why is there a difference in the what in what the left I says? I want versus... you to think about what you just said for a second <laughs> and think about why the Democrats might call them clusters. Um. Versus groupings? Is it so versus this way they groupings. could, it, because groupings is, a, I don't know, from the, well, from the legal case? Well, there's a certain phrase that we use on the radio, uh, uh, that we don't use on the radio that inter- includes the word cluster. Oh, I call and those Charlie Foxtrot. You have to bear in mind that prior to the Supreme Court re- uh, reconstituting uh, or basically breathing new life into the state constitutional provision that requires counties be kept whole in the formation of state Senate and state House districts. The state Democratic Party drew maps that went all over the place, mm-hmm. squiggled across 15 counties to, to get Democratic majorities in a very conservative state. So when that ruling came down, they thought cluster was an appropriate description of what had no. happened to them. Are you serious? Dead serious. It's just I a break. make that up on the fly? <laughs> <laughs> I think you underestimate. So that, 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 that's your free history lesson for today. <laughs> well, I remember the lawsuit. Um, I don't remember. I, like, okay, like I acknowledge, like, I had no idea it was simply a branding effort to try to undermine 
the the court ruling. Um, all right, so no, groupings. No, no, no. no. I, it was, I don't know that it was a branding effort to undermine the court ruling. It was probably more of an inside joke uh, or an inside commentary uh, that uh, that the Democratic uh, attorneys and uh, the uh, Democratic Party, you know, really, really wanted these things called clusters when uh, the court generally referred to them and Republicans generally referred to them as county groupings, as not groupings. county clusters. And, of course, uh, the word uh, uh, pod has come into use of, of late, too, interchangeably with those other two. But I try to stick with groupings uh, myself. <laughs> well, and if that's in the if that's in the the. Uh, the case law and from the ruling, and this is the the Stevenson criteria, which I know I've just put half the audience to sleep with that, but it's actually pretty important. And you kind of mentioned part of it, this litigation that occurred and the the ruling that came down is kind of what we we now had. We, we're not kind of, but we have to adhere to these things that came down in that ruling. Right. One of them was the like whole counties like it makes sense. The whole county should not be divided up. And that's why it's in the Constitution. Right. Absolutely. And it's been in North Carolina's Constitution uh, since the first Constitution in 1776. So it's not some new idea. And there was a conservative activist who passed away six, seven, eight years ago from Beaufort County in North Carolina, a little uh, little Washington, Chakawanity area named Ashley Stevenson. He was just a, you know, he was, you know, he was before there were, you know, Hardcore conservative uh, blogs and Facebook pages and stuff. Yeah, there were a few you know, really diehard conservatives that got together in little conservative clubs. And Ashley was one of those guys who's just a, a really uh, underappreciated figure. And um, his county got chopped up uh, like a pizza in the 2001 redistricting process. And he got together with Tom Ellis, who... Um, you know, you're probably familiar with as the as kind of the uh, godfather or or um, man behind the curtain with Jesse Helms and the Congressional Club, and uh, figured out how to pursue this litigation that breathed new life into the whole county provision in North Carolina's Constitution, which put an end to the just wanton crisscrossing of county boundaries to draw districts that the Democrats had done. I think Pete uh, to illustrate this. I think the 2001 proposed uh, by the Democrats proposed state house map divided like 67 or 68 of our 100 counties. And uh, the proposed uh, state Senate map divided 51 or 52 of our 100 counties. And today you rarely see more than, you know, 10 or 12 uh, districts that divide counties and, and, and crisscross boundaries. So um, that court ruling has really had a dramatic impact on um, the extent to which legislators can uh, can uh, the, the, the extent it, it really constricted uh, the amount of leeway they had in terms of just drawing districts willy-nilly. They're, it really instituted a set of rules that create a base map, and then they have some flexibility mainly within the larger counties to draw districts. But even recent court rulings have uh, limited some of that flexibility as, as well. So, um, you yeah, know, that's 
Yeah. I don't know if that's what you want to talk about. Oh, no, yeah, that's it. Well, un- yeah. Un- unasked for kind of backstory on how we got how we got where we are today. No, I think that's I think that's vital. Uh, the the question I have though is, do you think Democrats were aware that they were gerrymandering all of those districts, or were they as surprised as anyone to find out that they had been gerrymandering so much? You don't know. I don't know. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> um, I mean, if you go to our blog, I don't know if you've looked at it. Uh, I have. At, at, at uh, differentiator.com, um, you can see uh, those 2001 maps that were put forward by the Democrats in the Senate and the Democrats in the House. And if, if you can look at that and say with a straight face, you don't think that's a gerrymander. Right. Uh, right. Gonna need, I hope you have a good eye, a good ophthalmologist or optometrist <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, sponsoring your radio program. My uh, my guest. My guest is Jim Blaney, is the founder and partner of Differentiators, the website differentiator.com. And you can actually read this piece that I'm looking at right now. It's called First Look and Analysis, State House and Senate County Groupings, Whole County Provision. But what about the groupings, Jim Blaine? What are these groupings about? So, Pete, I think the first thing we better do is back up a little bit. I should have said this from the get-go. The Stevenson criteria and the whole county provision in North Carolina's Constitution only apply to state legislative districts. They don't apply to the congressional districts. So all the rules and kind of formulas that we're getting ready to talk about only apply to the construction of legislative districts. Uh, the congressional districts are a whole nother ball game, and uh, what the legislators have a lot more flexibility in terms of how they draw those districts than they do their own districts, which... Uh, you know, I, I've always thought it was interesting. Um, so, uh, the, so the first big difference, uh, I guess, that you need to be aware of, Pete, is um, there is an, uh, in congressional districts, you have to draw basically in North Carolina districts that are of equal population exactly down to the person. So you don't have any flexibility in terms of the population size of a congressional district. In North Carolina's General Assembly districts, the State House and the State Senate, you can draw a district that has uh, uh, plus or minus 5% of the perfect population. So you have some flexibility in terms of the size of the districts. The courts have said that that's an allowable margin of error. And what that does is uh, the courts have set up a formula and uh, there's some Duke data scientists uh, that create an algorithm to, to do it on a computer, and our firm was able to uh, confirm and replicate that algorithm this year. Uh, then you can dump all the census data from all the counties into this algorithm, and it will basically spit out for you kind of what I would refer to as the base state Senate or base state House map. And that is the optimal way under the law uh, as handed down by the North Carolina Supreme Court, that uh, to put together the counties to avoid county splits and comply with that 5% deviation standard. So the computer coughs out a map, and legislators basically are stuck with that map as the starting point. And interesting this year in the state Senate map, Pete, um, there are there's very little flexibility in terms of places for legislators to make decisions. Um, some of the larger counties like Mecklenburg and Wake, uh, which will have uh, 
four or five districts within state senate districts within the county will need to be the yeah they'll need to decide how to divide the county to create those districts and uh but other than that they're they're very few decisions kind of the formula that the court laid out created the map in the state house um this time there are a few more decisions but again the major decisions are made uh, by this court-ordered formula of uh, to, uh, that that we have to avoid uh, dividing counties and to comply with our state's whole county provision and, and the Constitution for legislative districts. So, honestly, I mean, if you're a political hack who, uh, who who's really into gerrymandering, it kind of takes the fun out of it <laughs> if you really want to draw some egregious uh, gerrymander that gave. You know, Democrats 80% of the seats or Republicans 80% of the seats because uh, you start with what you start with. And um, in North Carolina, interestingly, Pete, I think, you know, you're probably familiar with this. I'm sure most of your listeners are. Um, we have very close statewide elections, but we don't – the Democratic coalition that gives them about 50% of the vote in statewide elections and the Republican coalition – that gives the Republicans about 50% in statewide elections is really very different. And I think the best way to think about it is to think about Pat McCrory's race against Roy Cooper in 2016. Um, that race was about as close to a tie as you can get. Um, McCrory got about half the votes and Cooper got about half the votes. But Cooper got about half the votes in the process, I think, of winning uh, 27 counties. And McCrory got to his half of the vote by winning 73 counties. And that's the best way, the best example I can give you of how the Republican voters in this state are spread out uh, more equally across the entire state, while the Democratic voters are grouped up mainly into large urban counties like Mecklenburg and Durham and Orange and Wake. And anytime you have a districting plan, um, that divides a political a state or a country into pieces, and you have one party's group of voters spread efficiently across that area, and the other party's voters spread inefficiently or grouped together too closely, uh, the party that has the more efficient distribution of voters will inherently have an advantage in a plan with districts. So, Republicans have, right out of the gate, a little bit of an advantage in North Carolina in terms of uh, the drawing of congressional districts and legislative districts because their voters are spread out across more area than uh, the Democratic voters are. And another good analogy for this, of course, is the United States Senate, which, while it doesn't, it, you know, it it doesn't require equal population of the states, each state gets two senators, and while the country is pretty evenly divided, um, a whole bunch of Democrats live in California, and they only get two senators, and very few Republicans, but overwhelmingly Republicans, a set of folks live in Wyoming, and they get two senators. So it's, it's not quite like that in terms of you still have to have equal population, but that distribution, that, un, that uneven distribution of voters on the Democratic side really hinders uh, Democrats' uh, their, you know, ability to get majorities in the state legislature without drawing 
a big gerrymander, which was why they were drawing those big gerrymanders back in the 90s and early 2000s. Right. And, and so which is why they're going to complain and file lawsuits. I'm sure they've already promised to do so uh, over these maps because they're not going to be able to gerrymander themselves into any kind of a majority uh, legis- in the legislature. And so I suspect they're going to they'll try to get the courts to I get, and I guess they've got to attack the Stevenson ruling at some level, don't they? That, you know, Pete, that's a good point. What uh, we are increasing, or at least what I'm increasingly seeing, both in North Carolina and nationally, is an argument uh, by liberal academics and, quote, the experts on the left. And a lot of those folks are university professors uh, who are you know, hard left folks and, and the legislators they back. And what they're basically asking for is proportional representation, which right. is just a radical, radical change to to our to to our system of electing folks. They basically want to go to some sort of parliamentary uh, process similar to um, to what you see in Europe, right. where you know the you know everybody votes and it's the you know the total vote, and whether or not you live in Hickory or. You live in Weddington. Uh, you know, Charlotte's, Charlotte could potentially you know, overwhelm overwhelm you. And, right. you know, I think there's a real advantage to districts because, um, you know, the needs of people um, in, you know, the rapidly growing suburban areas around Charlotte, Cabarrus County, Union County, Gaston County, Lincoln County, um, the rural areas like Catawba County up in, you know, up, you know, where you're from, up in the mountains, and they have really vastly different needs. And a proportional system of representation is pretty likely uh, to ex- to exclude them. Jim, and, I got, uh, Jim, I got to leave it there. I, I got to leave it right. there. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. We'll have you back on. Thank you very much for the for your time and the insight. All right, take care, Pete. All right, glad you're back on there. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That's Jim Blaine. Uh, Jim Blaine. Founder and partner of Differentiators Consulting Firm. And uh, we'll have him back on right now. Brett Winterbull in the wings, waiting. News Talk 1110 WBT.